0: Well think about that. It's what the book of Revelation, isn't it? We're not going to be in Revelation chapter five tonight, but let me read you a verse out of Revelation five. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter one, it's, it's what what Marion was just thinking about. It's Revelation five, verse twelve, it says, let me start verse eleven. I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom and strength, and honor and glory and blessing. And then verse 13 says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. That's a song theme of a song we'll be singing for eternity, right? And that's, that's just the reality of it. And if there's any book of the Bible you can come away with and not come to the conclusion that all the glory belongs to Jesus, it's the book of Revelation. Amen. And so let's go back to Revelation chapter 1 tonight, alright? We're going to finish up chapter 1 this evening, Lord willing, and we are going to jump back into what we were talking about last last two times we It's on the screen behind me. Jesus at work in his church. If you remember, we've looked at two and a half parts of that, all right? First of all, we talked about room number one there on the screen, John's personal testimony. Jesus works in his church and through his church through people, right? We are his church, right? We are the bride of Christ, you and me. We're the body of Christ. And so we make up all those parts. Jesus literally said, you're supposed to be, we're supposed to be, Christ to the world, right? And so the human agent that God uses to do his work on the earth, now that he's ascended to heaven, is you and me, right? And so that is the human way God gets his work done, but thankfully, that's not where the book of Revelation stays, on John, right? He only gets one verse, verse number nine, all right? And then we go to verse 10 and verse 11, and we looked at that last Sunday night, John, two Sunday nights ago, I guess, John's supernatural experience. Look at verse 10 with me real quick, will you? John says, after, again, sort of introducing himself, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and unto Ephesus, and to Smyrna, to Pergamus, and the Phyatira and Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And the point that we emphasize really, we can sum up last Sunday night, that this passage was this. This was a supernatural event, right? This was not just um, somebody that had too much pizza for dinner and had a vision in the night, right? This was the Lord Jesus Christ giving a vision uh, supernaturally to John. And that's what we take away from that Verse number 10, he was in the Spirit, right? Four different times in the book of Revelation, that phrase is used. Some people even use that phrase as the outline for the book of Revelation. Every time he's in the Spirit, God's taking him to another, um, either heavenly vision or earthly vision, and he's seeing the future and the plan that God has for his church. And then we come to the, I think, probably the most exciting part, certainly um, from, a, from a selfish perspective, we come to verse number 12. And this is where we were last Sunday night, looking at the actual vision that God gives John on the island of Patmos. And here's what it says, verse 12. He says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the patch with a golden girdle. We looked last Sunday night at this indescribable vision. The first part of it is this. We see at the beginning of this vision the position of Christ in his church, right? Now, if you were here two Sunday nights ago, you know this is reviewed. But where is Jesus today? Well, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, right? That's what the scripture says. But is Jesus God? So is Jesus limited to where he is today? right hand the throne of the Father. He's God. So, just as we would think of God the Father, knows everything. The Bible says that in Him we live and move and have our being. Right? He's everywhere. And the Bible tells us in the beginning of this vision where Jesus is in relationship to the church. To you and me. And we can say at this we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, aren't we? The Spirit of God. He's in us. He is our life. And so Christ is in the middle of the church. That's what verse number 12 and 13 tells us, right? He turns to see the voice and he sees seven golden candlesticks. And verse 20 tells us those seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches, representing certainly those literal seven churches, but the church as a whole. And Christ is standing in the midst, verse number 13, of the candlesticks, right? That's where his position is when it comes to the church. Jesus is in the middle. Of his children, he's working in their in their lives and on behalf of the ministry that he desires to accomplish. Just as dad mentioned this morning, Philippians chapter number one, right? His position is in the middle of the church and it's again Christopher. <clears throat> so his In his church. That's where we're at tonight, and that's what we're going to do the rest of time, all right? What does um, all of this imagery tell us about Jesus and what he's Is this just a waste of time that God took us in the book of Revelation? If you look back at the first verse real quick with me, we we look at that with me, First uh, number one of chapter one, the revelation of who Jesus Christ. So what better, who better to start with? In the book of Revelation, then literally a revelation of Jesus Christ. But not what he's going to do in the future, yet what he's doing right now. What Jesus is doing, right? What he was doing at that moment when John received this vision, what he's doing in the church today. So let's go quickly, through these that we looked at last, Wednesday, or last Sunday night, and then we'll get to the ones we have. Looked at at verse number 13. The description of Christ in his church. Verse 13, it says, He's in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the foot, and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. And we said last Sunday night, this is undoubtedly, if you go to Exodus chapter number 28, 29, and 39, you will see the description of the high priest. And what the high priest is wearing what he's clothed in and it's a robe down to the feet <clears throat> he's girded with this girdle, and it's this exact language and here's jesus standing in the midst of his church by the way the candlesticks right the candlesticks that are the light to the world you ever been in a room or you ever been in a place where there was no light at all it's hard to get to a place like that now mm-hmm. we are in a uh, man we're in the technology age and there's lights everywhere I, I know you're like me, you appreciate life, right? Have you ever been somewhere where there was no light at all? Yeah. Are, are you like me? When you're in a place where there's no light at all, you feel a little bit uneasy? I mean, like, you know, I'm not going to stand here and confess I'm scared of the dark. That's what the manly thing do. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something about being in the pitch black, isn't it? We're in the light of the world. Are scared to death, and they're scared to death metaphorically because they are in the pitch black. They're in the dark. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they came from. They don't know. They don't know why they're here. They don't know what's going to happen after death. Where's the light in the world, right? And the one standing in the middle of the candlesticks, those that are given the light, is the one who lights the candlesticks, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ who comes into your heart and your mind when the gospel is preached to you and lit a flame in it. The Bible literally says it was the living word of God which we were born again by. And we're the candles. We're the light of the world. And the Bible says Jesus is in the middle of his church. He's serving as the great high priest. The one that we can go to and find Hebrews chapter 4 and find grace to help need. me. Right? But secondly, he's not just serving as the great high priest. Look at verse 13 again. Excuse me, verse 14. Verse 13. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. Not only is Jesus sitting in the middle of the church serving as our great high priest voluntarily, right? He's sitting there as the Bible says in Daniel, as the ancient of days. The one who possesses all wisdom. We talked about this last Sunday night, but in the book of Proverbs, the white hand is a picture of wisdom, right? And here's Jesus, whose head and hair is white as snow. The one who not only has wisdom, but has perfect, holy wisdom. I, sometimes I try my best to give somebody wise advice, but have you ever given somebody what you thought was wise advice, and then you went back and said, that probably wasn't the best advice. Mm-hmm. See, even, even the most mature Christian. Doesn't possess the wisdom that the Lord Jesus Christ possesses. In James chapter one, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of who? Let him ask of God. So Jesus is in the middle of the church. He's serving as our great high priest to go to find grace to help in time of need. He's serving as the great source of wisdom. And by the way, the book of Proverbs says wisdom cries in the streets, doesn't it? God is just desiring to pour out wisdom to his children through his word and through the advent of prayer he servant as a great high priest the great source of wisdom look at verse 14 again and then forgive me I'm rushing because we're reviewing okay verse 14 his head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were as a flame of fire his eyes were as a flame of fire the picture here you know we, we think of fire where our kids went outside or we went out the other day and made a little campfire right that's not the picture here it's not a Flickering flame. This is literally the idea of a, almost like a bolt of lightning. I mean, this is uh, God's supernatural, spiritual x-ray vision, right? To be able to see into your heart and my heart. You say, "Where? how, how do you ex- dis- explain that or describe that? Well, we're going to see that in the next two chapters, On huh? Every single one of the churches that God writes this letter to, he says, I know thy love. Orcs. How does he know? He sees. He's God, right? He's got the laser eye vision that can pierce through the flesh. It can pierce through the facade. And we talked about this last week, right? He sees everything in our lives, in the church. He sees it all. And that takes us to the fifth thing, fourth thing, verse number 15. His feet were like fine grass. That is glowing. Right? Verse 15, his feet were like undefined grass brass as if they burned in a furnace. As if they burned in a furnace. Now, I do think it's very important that we remember this, all right? At this point in the book of Revelation, Jesus is pictured where? In the middle of his church, right? Working in his church. Certainly, this there could be all kinds of applications. Maybe this could be representing the fact that Christ's. Wrath is beginning to burn. We're leading up to the future events. But this is in the church. This is Jesus working in his church, right? Folks, listen. I don't want to just rush past this again because I know this isn't the the popular thing to talk about today in the church. But listen those laser eyes that are piercing through the hearts of men, the vision follows up the next picture of Jesus in his judgment, Jesus in his chastening, right? in the lives of his children. Yes, he's the source of all wisdom. Yes, he's the high priest that we can go to for grace, to help in time of need, right? We should never take those for granted. He's the source of wisdom. He's the source of help. So listen, he's also going to be the source of correction, isn't he, in our lives. He says, I've given you everything. I've given you salvation. I've given you my word. I've given you prayer and access to me. I've given you all wisdom. Now he says, I'm looking in your life. I'm looking in your church. And I will chase him in what the Hebrews chapter we saw that for our coffin, God is actively working in our lives, correcting, confronting, and at times chasing. And one day, folks, listen, we will stand before him as our judge. We? Not to judge us for, for example, when we trusted Christ the Savior, but to judge our what? Our works. Now, we, we hold your place here. We've got to look at 1 Corinthians just for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 9. I'm look at a familiar passage here. And truthfully, somebody came up to me a few weeks ago and pointed this out to me. And I thought, wow, that is... I never thought about that. Look at this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 9 says, For we are laborers together with God, year God's husbandry, year God's building, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We understand that, right? You don't have a relationship with God if you don't have Jesus Christ. You don't have anything to build on if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Savior. But look at the next verse, verse number, <coughs> excuse me, verse number 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if any man builds upon that foundation, gold and silver and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by what? Now, isn't that interesting? And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. What is pictured in the book of Revelation is Jesus with eyes of flame of what? Fire that pierce into every part of life. And feet that are burning like glowing hot brass. And here's the picture on Judgment Day for the Christian. Oh, praise the Lord. In fact, keep, keep reading. I on going to stop there because verse number 14 says, if any man's work abide which he hath built there he shall receive a what? A reward, right? It's not he's not going to receive heaven. He's going to receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Now, I had a guy come to me one time and say, this verse makes me very nervous. What does this mean? This means I'm going to lose my salvation because I... Because I didn't do enough work for God. Well, finish the verse, right? But he himself shall be what? Say. Yet so as by will Fire. See, here's Paul in 1 Corinthians, I think, telling us what we're seeing in the book of Revelation. Here's Jesus with eyes as a flame of fire, the one who one day we will stand in front of and who will judge us. And he tells us in his word, but judge ourselves that we are judged. And God, in his merciful love for us, looks down at his children just as we do ours here and says, you can't do that. You've got to come back over here. You have to stop that. And only God knows all the different ways he thinks he uses in our lives to chasten us. But aren't you thankful for a heavenly father that loves us enough Amen. to correct us? The Bible says the parent that doesn't correct their child hates them. Aren't you thankful that God is actively in the church tonight? <clears throat> this week, last week, and he is serving as the great corrector of his children because he loves us that much. Go back to Revelation chapter 1, all right? Now we get to where we haven't been yet, okay? Revelation chapter 1, verse number 15. His feet were like the fine grass, as if they burned in a furnace. Fifthly, the Bible says, His voice has the sound of many waters. You ever heard of many waters? In the idea there is rushing water. Much rushing water. Ever heard that before? Uh, how many of you ever been to um, Niagara Falls? Anybody? It's amazing sound, isn't it? Even if you just don't see it, if you just get close and listen. The water is rushing over the falls. I had a chance to go to Niagara Falls when I was actually traveling uh, as a student at Pensacola Christian College in one of their singing groups. We got to go to the Niagara Falls. And we got whatever that old boat is that you can ride up there at the bottom of the falls. In the water, the sound, certainly the sight is amazing, but the sound, right? That's what Jesus says. And, and John says his voice was like m- the many waters. You say, what does is, what is that sound like? What is that? Well, I'm gonna tell you right now that when you hear the Niagara Falls, it's very distinct, isn't it? Nothing else sounds like rushing water. Not just distinct; it's very powerful, isn't it? It's unmistakably powerful. It's, it, it, it's fearful you when know, you're in that when you're in that little boat and they start taking you up to the Niagara Falls. There's part of it, kind of. I mean, just in all of the awesomeness of that. Here's Jesus. And John says that his voice is like the sound of many waters. How powerful is God's word? Psalm 93, verse 4 says, The Lord is high, is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Boy, we saw a horrible sight on the television, what was it, ten years ago now in Japan? Remember the video came in of these horrible tsunamis in Japan. And the unbelievable destruction that they caused, one gigantic way. Here's God, the Bible says he's mightier than the mighty waves hey. of the sea. Hey. But it specifically is focused on his word, isn't it? His voice. How powerful is the voice of God? It's the voice that created the universe, isn't it? It's the voice that Jesus spoke with when he was walking on this earth as a man and a dead person walked out of a grave. In the Bible, and we will see all through the book of Revelation, it is the voice that God will decree his truth in the future and no man will stop it now. Amen. That's the voice that John hears. This is Jesus at work in his church. Number six, at verse number 16. And he had his right hand Seven stars. Okay, that's interesting, right? Well, let's look back at verse 20, because verse 20 tells us what those stars are. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. All right, so the picture that John sees is Jesus... And he's got uh, this robe on down to his feet. He's got a golden sash or a golden girdle on, certainly wearing the robes or the, the robe of the high priest. He's got this white, like, like snow, hair and head. As John sees it, and certainly representing his wisdom, his holiness. John sees him, and his eyes are like a flame of fire, piercing into the lives of every Christian, currently working in our lives and seeing what's going on. His feet are like this glowing hot, Red brass, the judgment of God working in His church, correcting and chastening His church. His voice is like the rushing water, powerful, overwhelming, distinct and authoritative. The Bible says, "And in His hands He has seven stars." And those stars are seven angels, is the word of Revelation chapter one. You say, "Well, are these angelic beings that are you know, as we typically think of the word angels?" In the book of Revelation, or in the whole New Testament, really, the word angel in Bible days. The word that's in Greek there would have been used to represent both heavenly messengers from God and also human messengers. And I'm not going to take time to do this because we're not out of time, but if you want to write down a couple of references, Luke chapter 7, verse 27, Luke chapter 9, verse 52, James chapter 2, verse 25, Luke 7, 27, Luke 9, verse 52, James 2.25 the exact same word that's used for angel in Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 is used for men on the earth that God is sending with his message in, in Luke it's specifically referencing chapter 7 John the Baptist that he was my messenger is the word you'll find if you flip over there but the Greek word is the same word as angel in Revelation chapter 1. So I believe, and and many believe, that these seven angels, these seven stars, are the seven leaders, the seven pastors, bishops, overseers, of these seven churches. Now why are these stars? by the way, let me say this too. Some people get nervous about this because a lot of times people will take something like this, pastors will, and they'll use it to give themselves authority, but they don't really possess. <laughs> Who's holding on to those stars? Come. Christ is holding them, right? Hey. And he's holding them in his right hand. And I think the idea there more, more certainly protection, certainly care and provision, but I think the idea there more is control. Right? These seven messengers to my church are in my hand. Mm-hmm. I, in the same sense that a heavenly being is a God-sent messenger. A pastor on this earth that's truly called by God is supposed to be a God-sent messenger, right? The only authority that a pastor has on this planet is supposed to be the Word of God. In fact, I'm jumping ahead, but if you look at the very next part of the image, it's the sword that's coming out of Jesus' mouth, right, the two-edged sword. But in his hand are these seventy angels, these seven messengers, the pastors of these seven churches that God is going to use and even confront in the next two chapters. Let me give you real quick five reasons you may want to jot these down. Five reasons why I don't believe they're angelic beings were actually pastors. We're going to go through these quick, all right? Number one, John is supposed to write them a letter. Now, just, just from a common sense perspective, has anyone in the Bible ever been asked to write an angelic being a letter? a little bit odd, isn't it? Okay, so we don't write angels' letters. Number two, they're in a human position of authority in the church. Do we ever see angels in a position of authority in the church? No. Number three, these men are part of the church. Right? How do you become part of the church? You say, well, join the church. Tell them, remember, no, that's not how you become part of the body of Christ. That's when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, isn't it? practical reasons, we have church membership just like tonight, voting on deacons but you become a part of the body of Christ when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior these messengers are part of the church listen, angels don't get saved in fact the Bible says they look into redemption with awe and wonder What what is that like these messengers are part of the church they have a position in the church Here's another one. These men are told in the next two chapters to repent. You never find anywhere in Scripture where angelic beings are told to repent. And then this one is sort of like the others. A human sends a message to an angel if these are angels, angelic beings and the angel is supposed to give it back to humans. So anyway, just practice common sense reading. I don't believe these are angelic beings, but rather pastors of the churches. Look with me now at verse number sixteen. Verse sixteen. He had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went with a sharp, two-edged sword. Without any question, this is a reference to the word of God, isn't it? Okay. Hebrews chapter four, verse number twelve, uses that exact same picture, right? The word of God is sharp a two-edged sword, like right? piercing. And it divides us in the deepest place, right? In other words, the Word of God can do in our lives, in our thoughts, in our emotions, what, what nothing you and I could say would ever do. You know sometimes we fall into the trap of doing it? And I'm talking about when we're trying to be faithful Christians. Sometimes we fall into the trap of trying to use human wisdom to reach people don't that. You know what's far more powerful than your wisdom and my wisdom? The Word of God. Which liveth and abideth forever. And here's Jesus in the middle of the church and out of his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword. And by the way, I don't think it's any mistake that this comes right after the seven messengers that are in his hand. Because the only thing that those seven messengers have to use, any pastor in a pulpit has to use to accomplish anything for God is the word of God. There are a whole lot of people in the pulpits across around the world today who are doing a lot of stuff but the only people that are accomplishing anything of eternal value are those that are proclaiming the word of God. The truth that God gave. Because all a preacher is in a pulpit he is supposed to be a messenger for yeah. him. That's it. Not building their church, not building his church. Building his church. Right? Here's Jesus in the middle of his church. The sharper than two-edged sword that's coming out of his mouth representing certainly the power of his word. And then the last Description of Jesus in his church is verse number 16. Verse 16. It says, He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth with a sharp two edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. His face. His face was like the sun in the brightest part of the day. Can you say it that way? Never tried to accidentally look at the sun when it was shining brightly? Oh. And then you got those little black spots you see in the next 10 minutes, right? John says, the only way I can describe to you the countenance of Jesus, it was like looking at the sun in the brightest part of the day. Now, you know what's interesting? And we'll be done. John had another moment in his life on a much smaller scale, but very similar to this. You remember what it was? Look over Matthew chapter 17 verse okay, right? 1, Matthew 17. <clears throat> Look at verse number one. Matthew 17, verse 1. Bible says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and.. John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the <coughs> sun. Yeah. And his raiment was white as the light. Here's John. He's without a doubt, without any question, he is seeing the Son of Man that he walked on the earth with for those three plus years. Here's what Jesus is telling John. He's telling you. He's telling me. He says, John, the last time you saw me in this way, I was with you. I was all the way to the cross, but I was with you. Here's what Jesus is telling John. He's telling you. He's telling me. I may be in heaven by the right of the Father, but I am with you. I am with you. And Jesus says, I am not only with you. I am your high priest. Folks, listen. I know when we get to number three and number four of the list, the, the burning eyes of Jesus and the, and the judging feet of Jesus, that those are the parts that cause us to sit and go, ooh, Folks, listen, Jesus is our high priest to give us the grace that we need to serve him faithfully on this earth. He's the source of wisdom to give us the wisdom that we need to serve him faithfully. He is the one that has the, the, the voice that is like the power of the rushing water
1: we don't have to lean on our own strength or
0: our own ability or our own wisdom or our own methods. Listen, it's not programs and presentations that make spiritual difference. It's the powerful word of God in the lives of people, isn't it? That's what changes somebody. For me, like just this week, in fact, Wednesday night, I talked to the teenagers about it a little bit. There is a... I've never heard of it until the last few weeks. There's a, apparently a very popular um, uh, Comedy, got two two guys on YouTube that do comedy, and they're very, very popular, and I guess they got millions of viewers, and and, uh, just in the last few weeks, these two guys came out, they're called Rhett and Link, and these guys came out on YouTube, and and by the way, let me back up a little bit, these guys grew up in a fundamental Baptist church, Mm -hmm. almost just like this one, their entire childhood, they grew up, they went to church. They they finished their high school. They went off to college. At college, they would have debates on the campus with those that were in in favor of uh, evolution and those that were atheists. They joined um, campus Christian ministry, and they served in this Christian ministry for 10 years, going to Christian college campuses and uh, having uh, Bible studies with people on campus. And over the last six years, these fellows have, as they describe it, their faith has been deconstructed. Hmm. Folks, listen. For somebody to grow up in a church and to be part of a, quote, Christian ministry, and now to be literally publicly declaring from, to millions of people, we don't believe that anymore, and that's not where they stopped. They went and gave three hours worth of the reasons why they didn't believe this. Folks, Listen. My question to those two two guys is this. Did you have programs? Did you have the word of God? Mm -hmm. Did you have Christian rock concerts? Did you have the word of God? Were you entertained as a teenager? Or did the word of God make a difference in your life? And folks, it was interesting because as (laughs) I listened to these fellows give their testimony, they told themselves the whole way through. Your Christian experience was entertainment and fun and good things, but was lacking the most important thing, the Word of God. You can do lots of good things on this earth without the Word of God. True? Lots of good things. But listen, you will not do anything of eternal value without the Word of God. Amen. Nothing will be accomplished for eternity. Without the Word of God, but here's the great thing: we pray. Jesus is working on our behalf in our lives. His Word is as powerful tonight as it was when John received this vision two thousand years ago. And if we depend on this book more than what we think or how we think, God can do great things, and He will do great things. The last reminder Jesus wants the church to have before the church age ends, is I'm there, I'm with you, I'm working among you to accomplish my task of not just lighting you, but you being the light of the world. Hey, you pastors in the pulpits, the stars, use the light of life. We're supposed to be, as the Apostle Paul said, holding forth the word of life, right? Like a light. We're supposed to do that to you and we're all supposed to do that to the world. And Christ is working among us so that we can do his great commission. Right? Take the light of the gospel to a world that's in darkness. Folks, that ought be the number of hours, yeah. Every one priority. Let's pray, okay? Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. I know there's not a lot said tonight, too. Lord, I pray you take the truths so that you've studied over these last few weeks. This awesome vision of you and your church. And I pray, Father, that you would humbly acknowledge that you're at work in our lives, and Lord, thank you for that. And then, Lord, I pray that we would honestly depend upon you, your working through us, your spirit to guide and fill us. Lord, your word to not only direct us, but Lord, also that we would use your word as the sword that is sharper than two edges, and the sword sword that is sharper than any two-edged sword, do what we can't do in the lives of evil. Lord, I pray for myself tonight, and I pray for every person here. As we, in the next few weeks, begin to look at these churches that, Lord, you confront, and you confront them from this perspective, this way you're working in the church, Lord, may we have humble hearts, as we look at each of these churches, and may we examine ourselves individually, may we look at our families, and even as a church, may we examine ourselves, Lord, that one day when we stand before you, we will not stand with those works that are going to burn out. But Lord, we will stand with those works that will pass through the fire. Father, we'll be able to stand before you and be rewarded for our faithfulness Amen. and serving you as your church need your help to do it. We ask you for it tonight. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. 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 amen.